welcome to Arts District. My name is Sterling Shea. Today I have the immense pleasure of sitting down and chatting with Danielle Giorgio and Jake Nice, who are in rehearsals right now for a play called Slide By. It's written by Thomas Ward. It runs January 16th through 26th, and I'm going to let them tell you all about it, um, but I think they have a really special production here, so as soon as you're done listening to this episode, go to their website and secure your tickets. All right, here's Jake and Danielle. I'm Jake Nice. I'm the director and producer of Slide By. And I'm Danielle Giorgio, and I am the choreographer for Fights, Intimacy, and a Little Dance Moment. Awesome. What is Slide By about? Slide By is about a uh, former wrestling state champion um, in his high school days who has since sort of had a burnout time of college, and he returns to his high school uh, as a substitute teacher the week after the Columbine shootings. Um, mm. So the presence of danger or the uh, chance of danger, I think, is very high throughout the play because of the yeah. Columbine. Can you walk me through um, like what this process has been like from the time you got your script, the script in your hand to today and then where it's going? Yeah, so Thomas sent me this, Thomas Ward, the playwright, uh, sent me the script, must have been three or four years ago. Um, he and I were working on a play called Straight White Men by Young Jean Lee, which was being produced by Second Thought Theater. Um, a lot of the themes in the play sort of reminded Thomas, I think, of things that are themes in Slide By. We talked about a lot of stuff about things like toxic masculinity, white privilege, uh, the like, mm -hmm. and he sent me slide by, uh, asked me to direct it. I said absolutely, mm -hmm. and we started looking for theaters to produce it. Um, and we weren't really finding luck with that, so we decided, you know what, let's let's try to find a way for us to produce it on our own. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a show in the Elevator Project in 2018, and so um, I thought, you know, let's just reapply and try to get slide by. Uh, into the Elevator Project series, and uh, fortunately we were accepted. That's awesome. Um, did I read correctly that Thomas is also from Dallas? He's like a local playwright. That's very cool. So it's like a little homegrown production. Yeah, cool. yeah, Thomas and his family, they actually very recently moved away from Dallas, but mm -hmm. they lived, um, I think somewhere between Fort Worth and Dallas for a long time, and uh, both Thomas and his wife, Sherry Jo, are sort of beloved actors mm -hmm. of the DFW community. And um, Thomas is also a writer, and Sherry had this great solo play that she did last year uh, called Stiff that she's touring around the US right now. So both very involved artists. Neat. Um, and you mentioned the Elevator Project. What is that, and how do you go about securing funding through that project? Yeah. Um, I'm sure you have something to say about the Elevator Project too, since Danielle's been part of it several times. But Neat. basically, it's the the AT&T Performing Arts Center's way of sort of giving back to the artistic community. I think mm -hmm. um, it was a program set up by David Denson to uh, essentially give small 
emerging artists and theater companies an opportunity to perform with a lot more resources than they usually have, mm. a la at the AT&T Performing Arts Center. Yeah, it was started in 2014, Okay, and um, my company was one of the first companies to participate in the Elevator Project, and they approached six companies in Dallas and said, you are emerging artists and we want to give you resources and a, and a space uh, in the arts district mm -hmm. to show your work. And APAC is extremely helpful with both like the operating aspects of, a, of putting on this show mm -hmm. as well as the marketing aspects, which when you are a small emerging company or yep. an artist, those are things that are very difficult because a lot of times you are self-producing. Yeah. And so um, I've been self-producing my work since 2011. Yeah. And so when somebody wants to help you out, it's it, it's really that stepping stone, that leg up that, that you really need as an artist. And they just get you connected to different aspects of the community and audience spaces that you never would find. Mm -hmm. And it's really those marketing resources that are, are so helpful yeah. that ATPAC yeah. provides. Um, how did you guys meet each other and start collaborating? Jake and I met... We once? Were, was it once? No, it was before that. It was? Maybe. I want to say the first time we worked together was on once. No, the first Theater time we worked three. together was once yeah. at Theater 3. And I'm sure we mm. met here and there before that. Yeah, 20... I had seen. 18? I had yeah. seen also at the Elevator Project, Donkey Beach, yeah. which your group did. Mm -hmm. And since I was close with Corey Kozel, who's also yeah. in Slide By, he played guitar in Donkey Beach. I came to see the show. Mm -hmm. Had been chatting with Justin. I'm sure we met sometime around then. Yeah, yeah. But the first time we worked together was on Once at Theater Three. Okay. And I was the uh, movement coach and choreographer, and Jake was an actor and musician in the show. Cool. And then we collaborated again on everybody at stage west yeah which i directed and there's a scene there's this crazy scene that's like one line in the play and it says it's called the dance macabre it's the dance of death and this the stage direction is a like something like a group of skeletons dances across the stage end of scene yeah so i thought <laughs> i've seen other productions do it and they they put up these like puppets of yeah. skeletons and i just was like so uninterested in that um so i was like hey stage west what do you guys think about getting da uh, daniel georgiou over here and uh they were like oh yeah you know definitely <laughs> we've been looking for a chance to work with her and so i said great let's have her choreograph um, a dance piece to this and it turned out to be a really like bizarre and like i think really unique element yeah. to the show. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, and Danielle, you said you do fight choreography, intimacy choreography, and movement dance mm -hmm. for this show. Mm -hmm. As a choreographer, do you approach those three things differently, or are they all very similar? For me, I come at it from a movement perspective, mm -hmm. both fight, intimacy, and dance. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm a classically trained dancer mm -hmm. and uh, for me it's always important to come at it from a choreographic movement metered standpoint and in anything in fight intimacy and dance all of them are a dance of some kind because mm -hmm. you have to understand where your hands go where your feet go how the body connects to another body and so coming at from fights coming to fights from a dance perspective mm -hmm. for me helps 
me communicate to the actors exactly what I want. So if I just looked at it from a traditional fight standpoint, which is which would just be hands, um, I feel like you'd miss the human aspect of it. And a lot, of, I see a lot of fight choreography on stage, and it falls very flat because it feels too um, unrealistic. Yeah. And it feels, in a way, almost too choreographed. Yeah. And so I, when I am doing fights, I want to make it feel as in the moment, spontaneous as yeah. possible. Yeah. And so I feel like using dance as my, my first language helps me get the actors to come at it from a very real standpoint. Yeah. And the same thing with intimacy. So an intimacy choreography is something that's still relatively new in the theater world, mm -hmm. like hiring an intimacy choreographer. But as a dancer, we're trained in intimacy from the first time we step into a studio. Because, yeah. um, and I'm a modern dancer and contemporary dancer, and I do a lot of improvisational work, and okay. that is intimate from the get-go. Yeah. The first thing you learn when you're doing improvisational work is how to communicate with somebody consent. Yeah. Both verbally and non-verbally. Right. And so I look at intimacy choreography from that standpoint mm -hmm. and work with actors to set up uh, standards and barriers in rehearsal that they can always access while in performance. Yeah. And so a lot of my intimacy work might feel like a dance, um, but that is because I want it to feel like how humans actually interact with Right. Yeah, I think the first time I heard about intimacy choreography was only two, two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. And just immediately I was like, wait, yeah, why don't we have that? Like you wouldn't let your emotions get the best of you when you're mm -hmm. fighting mm -hmm. on stage. Why would you let that happen in intimacy? So I think that's really cool and I'm glad more people are signing on a person to do that yeah. like a professional yeah it poses emotional threats you know for mm -hmm. somebody who's out of control like you say has their emotions getting the best of them mm -hmm. in, a, in a romantic scene or an intimate scene I mean somebody can become really you know emotionally or psychologically uh, damaged from a, a bad interaction that way maybe we haven't looked at that so much in the past, we've been more concerned about, oh, physically I could get hurt if my actor is out of control with a sword yes. or whatever. Yeah, instead of emotionally, emotionally. Like, like I could walk out of this and not want to do it again, yeah. and that's not what you want. Right. I could experience trauma. Yeah, yeah. Um, how have you guys dealt, obviously, it seems like this play has themes of gun violence. Um, how have you guys dealt with the themes of the play and you know, I was reading that there's themes of suicide and kind of not not being the person that you thought you were going to be later on in life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just interested in, like, the kinds of conversations you've had with your actors. We've had a lot of conversation. Um, I, I, I mean, I have to first give credit to Thomas for um, being so tactful about mm -hmm. the way he wrote about this stuff and also, at the same time, not being tactful at all. I mean being purposeful and just sort of throwing these sort of blatant... I, I think Thomas really wants you to reassess your relationship to things like, like you're saying, teen suicide or gun violence or even the presence of a gun in school in the first place. I think Thomas wants you to really take a look at that. And one of the ways he does that is through humor throughout the play. I mean, I think it's a... I, I keep pitching it to people as a dark comedy yeah. or a satirical comedy. And people are sort of amazed by that because I say, oh, it's a dark comedy about 
uh, you know, a substitute teacher a week after Columbine. Yeah. And everybody goes, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's, you know, so I just have to say, I think Thomas set us up for success yes. in dealing with these sensitive subjects through a mix of suspense and humor. Okay. Um, but we've had a lot of conversations with the actors, especially in our first couple weeks of rehearsal. I mean, people are bringing personal stories that they relate to. Mm-hmm. People are using sort of um, maybe more broadly known statistics and information about um, certain types of people in the play, or like if you talk about like you know what what a typical school shooter does or doesn't do. Mm-hmm. People have looked to that kind of thing for information. And we've talked, you know, my goal is to try to center as much of our conversation on the script and pulling information out of the script from whatever's there on the page and not letting our outside, you know, biases, Mm -hmm. be they good or bad, those are still judgments that we bring in as individuals and we're trying to sort of create a new story explicitly from the text. Mm -hmm. And it's still like, even then right after Columbine so I was in high school right after like during Columbine wow and um it wasn't anything that we understood you know Mm -hmm. it it, it hadn't happened Mm -hmm. at that scale and it wasn't something that you talked about and so there were a lot of jokes being made at my high school about people bringing a gun to school and yeah um I remember like going to the bathroom you'd see all these like graffiti things about the trench coat mafia is coming and we would all laugh about it because it's like it's never gonna happen where I go to school right it 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 wasn't anything that was tangible that we could really understand Mm -hmm. until it happened Mm -hmm. so like I am one of the people at the table that shared like a personal story of being in high school and somebody bringing a gun to school and being in lockdown and we didn't have cell phones Mm -hmm. we didn't know how to communicate with our family yeah. or what we were going to do because we weren't set up with any skills to yeah. handle it. Yeah, I was thinking social media wasn't no. what it is today, but cell phones weren't, weren't. what they are today. No. So there is no texting yeah. or calling. It's just... You really didn't know what to do with yourself. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Thomas was an edu- is an educator and was teaching at that time. Yeah. And, um, like really has given a snapshot of that time period and of that not knowing mm-hmm. and also not understanding and caring because you didn't think it was ever going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. And so the jokes were easy. Everybody was making those sorts of jokes. Yeah. Um, but we still make those jokes now. Like yeah. we talk about guns in a very flippant way. Yep. Um, and, you know, in this cast and in the crew, there are a lot of educators as well. And so every day we go into a school thinking, eh, whatever oh, is going to I mean, gonna this happen. week alone, like, I woke up and saw memes about World War III right. before I saw the news <laughs> about yeah. potential yeah. World War. Yeah. And I was like, what a weird place we're in right now. But it's the human condition yeah. to just use comedy to protect. Yes. Both, I guess, you know, to deal with the situation, but really just to put another barrier or shield around yourself mm-hmm. because if you can laugh at it then it's not as real as yeah. it actually is and maybe not only to create a separation between ourselves and the thing that we're laughing at but also to help us analyze it in a way maybe that separation is part of the analysis and that's what I think Thomas is trying to do 
by writing a comedy about school shootings, if you can even, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a very blunt and general way to put it, but, you know, I, I, I think the somehow the laughter or the, com the comic aspect helps us to understand it yeah. more deeply in a safe way. Yeah. What was the um, casting process like? Did you know who you wanted to work with when you got the script, or did that come later? Yeah. So t a couple years ago, Thomas and I um, did a, a reading of the play in just a, an actor's home, um, okay. and we had several folks from the community come read parts, and um, I read one of the parts, and I was also kind of like the director at that point, so it was very casual. Um, but since then, Thomas and I talked a lot about kind of shifting some of that the preconceived ideas he had about the casting. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of brought in some ideas that I had, and we kind of met somewhere in the middle. Um, we did decide to keep one actor from that reading, uh, who was Corey Kozel, who we mm -hmm. mentioned er earlier. He's playing the character of Dave. Um, Thomas just loved what he did in the mm -hmm. reading so much. Um, Dave is a hilarious character, and Corey is like an amazingly skilled comedic mm -hmm. character actor. I mean, he's super funny, and um, Dave. Is a, is a janitor who deals drugs to the students at the high school he works at. Um, and he was Chad's best friend in high school. So he's sort of staying on the same level that he yeah. was, you know. Um, anyway, we loved just what Corey brought to yeah. it. So I went to uh, undergrad with Corey. You did? Yes, oh I gosh. did. He's wonderful. Yeah. What a yes. small world. It is a small world. I actually... Um, when I think he was a senior when I was a freshman wow. and there was a time I guess during the spring and they they put the professors put a very heavy emphasis on us to go to grad school and so it was just like a very tense time and like we saw all the seniors monologues and we kind of knew that they were going off and that they would come back and um, my boyfriend at the time who's now my husband Corey came back and he was like, hey, Corey, like, how'd it go? Did, did, did you get into Yale? And he goes, no, I didn't get into the Yale, but you know who else didn't get into Yale? Edward Norton. <laughs> and I was like, exhilarated by that comment. I was like, that's the attitude I need. And like, still, like, however many years, eight, nine or years later, I'm like, Edward Norton didn't get into Yale. I'm going to get it through this day. I can do it. See, it, was funny. <laughs> it was funny even then. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we, we, we kept him in the cast from the reading. Cool. And then we changed pretty much everyone else via public auditions that we held at the Wiley. Okay. And we sent out casting calls and we sent out personal e emails and invites. Um, the big sort of like deciding factor on a lot of the casting was that we we're not able to afford equity actors mm -hmm. right now because the price of an equity contract is a lot more expensive than a non-equity contract mm -hmm. a, a lot yeah so um it's a completely non-equity cast but there's something really valuable about that too especially for the elevator project because it's like they're all about right elevating yeah. artists and and giving people more visibil visibility and i think that having a, a non-egg cast really does that as well and sort of giving some new faces their well-deserved you know time right. to shine i love that because it's easy to feel like and social media has a hand in this but like oh jake and danielle are directing at the at&t performing arts center and like a lot of people don't see that 
you got to where you are because no one else would produce it. So you guys just had this attitude of like, well, we're just going to do it. And if we read this play in someone's house, reread it in someone's house and we're going to put it up whether or not, you know, we're not going to sit on our hands and wait for funding. We're just going to do it. Yeah. Um, I really like that attitude. That's, that's something that I've been talking a lot to press and to the folks at the Performing Arts Center about. Um, when I applied for the first time um, to the elevator project with We're Gonna Die, that was in 2018, um, that was the first year that they ever had uh, individual artists mm-hmm. uh, profiled as part of the series. Um, it was me and another director named Adam Adolfo who did his own um, show. But uh, according to David Denson, you know, he, he'd said, oh, this is the first time we've really seen that model where you just have an individual producing the play on their own outside mm-hmm. of the, the realm of a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then I think the next year, Scott Zenreich sort of did that with his play, The Pastry King. Um, so I'm glad to sort of see that evolving and to be able to come back and continue that um, and bring on a much bigger, I mean, this show is a much bigger scope then we're gonna die is, and that's why I, you know, was very intentional about bringing yeah. on Danielle and other really skilled collaborators to help me accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished to put a slide by. Can you guys give me like a little walkthrough of your career and how you got to where you are today and where you hope to go like in 2020 and beyond? Yeah, <laughs> uh, sure. Um... So I actually, I, I came into this career, performing arts career, a little differently than most people, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been dancing my whole life. I had done musical theater, and then I kind of quit it all when I started college. Mm-hmm. Um, I got burnt out of doing it, um, and I went and got a business degree, Okay. and a degree in French, which... Yeah. It's super helpful when you live in Texas. <laughs> uh, and uh, my senior year, I was like not ready for the real world. Yeah. And decided to apply for grad school, and I got a degree in political science mm-hmm. with an emphasis on public policy and arts policy. And when I was in my master's program, my thesis chair told me that I just needed to go be an artist because that is obviously what I was yeah. called to do. And I started dancing professionally um, in 2007. Mm-hmm. So I, I quit dance and I quit theater when I started college and then uh, that lasted for like about a year. And yeah. then I started dancing again because I was bored right. um, and needed to do something. And um, she just told me that every, even the way that I was approaching writing these very like analytical and qualitative analysis of very boring statistics, um, which are super helpful because yeah, we need yeah. more funding in the arts. <laughs> and I wrote a whole dissertation, a whole thesis and book on that and whatever. Um, she was like, you love it. Like yeah. you're an artist and you're kind of trapped inside this cubicle that we've put you in at this think tank that you're working at and you need to go out and, and work and do things. And um, she encouraged me to go back to school and um, pursue my PhD. Mm-hmm. And I, um, started a, this aesthetic studies humanities program at UTD and got connected to um, Thomas Riccio and Fred Kerchak, who are actors and directors in Dallas and, uh, and internationally and nationally well known and um, just really started working as an mm-hmm. artist. Um, 
And in 2010, I presented a uh, dance film at the National Performance Network. Okay. And Cora Cardona saw the work, who at that time was the artistic director of Teatro Dallas. Okay. And she called me up out of the blue and offered me a two-week residency at her theater. Awesome. And said, what's the name of your company? And I was like, uh. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and the, some of my friends that I was working with, uh, they were like, just call it DGDG because your yeah. initials are dance group. So we'll just be the Daniel Giorgio dance group. I said, oh, okay, cool. And yeah. um, we had our first show in 2011. And, um, you know, now it's nine years. Wow. Um, and... I've been really lucky, like, that just, I, right place, right time, mm -hmm. right right time to present this very bizarre work of mm -hmm. dance theater that I was well, making. Well, people, like, seeing you and, like, speaking life into you, like, yeah. sometimes we just need that jolt yeah. of someone going, you don't want to, you're not doing what you want to be yeah, doing. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, yeah, thank you. So, you know, my, my master's program was so helpful, and then going to UTD and meeting these incredible artists, and then becoming a part of the community, and meeting Cora and just working and then I, I started working at different theaters and then I um, was asked to come into Undermain mm -hmm. in 2017 and that started like a, a whole new chapter of my life. Yeah. I met Catherine Owens who I was a gigantic fan of. I was sort of like obsessed with the theater mm -hmm. and I was always there and um, it was because Fred Kerchak uh, would do a lot of shows at Undermain, mm -hmm. and so I, I went as a student. Um, and she became a mentor, and then I started working there, and then um, just recently, uh, she, she passed away mm -hmm. in the summer, um, and I was brought on as Associate Artistic Director. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now it's, I've got DGDG and the work that we're doing and, and trying to create uh, this new way of looking at dance and theater and how they're combined and how they're not that separate. Mm -hmm. And then working at Undermain and learning the life of, of, of a theater who's had a long history in Dallas and the type of work that they do and the experimental quality of that work, but also looking at classic theater and yeah. light. And um, I don't know, it's just been, it's, it, it's a pathway that I never could have predicted. And honestly, yeah. I didn't know this is what I was going to do. And now I can't imagine not doing it yeah I loved what you said about like you know how they aren't that different and I think from high school it's like that's the band hallway and mm, that's the art mm -hmm, hallway and mm -hmm, we're the theater mm -hmm. people and you all stay in your corner right and it's like how much better would it be like if this it's all piece combined. be if it was yeah. all combined band art yeah <laughs> yeah we all collaborated yeah. and that's kind of a big thing for me, um, all of the work that I do with DGDG is, is fully collaborative from mm -hmm. the devising process of the scripts because we write all of our own scripts. Um, we do only original work. It's all collaborative from the beginning to the end. So we bring a group of performers in and musicians and other artists and we create it from the ground up together, um, which is, you know, I think a way that theater is moving. Mm -hmm. um, collaborative devised work is, is really on the upswing right now. Um, and that's something that I'm very committed to, mm -hmm. is original work yeah, and n new stories. Yeah. I mean, I think personally, a, a big, you know, mission statement of mine, if you will, is, is to try to get young sort of people who are probably disillusioned with the theater, which there's great reason to be. Um, 
I say that as a theater maker, you yeah. know, I see a lot of it that I don't like. And I think that there's a, so for me, a calling to try and say, hey, th- you might not like everything, mm-hmm. but I think you'll like this. Mm-hmm. And that was something that really spoke to me about um, Slide By and mm-hmm. about my the, the last show I independently produced, which was uh, We're Gonna Die. I mean, it was like a rock musical about this woman sort of sharing stories of like horrible things that happened to her throughout her life with these like beautiful indie rock songs. It was like, what's not to love? And it was really successful just from like a lot of people coming to see it and saying, hey, this really spoke to me in a personal way. I mean, it was like a, why not? Who would not love this, you know? Um, But especially young sort of artistic, creative folks who Mm -hmm. are probably like, ah, theater, that's not really for me. That play, and I think Slide By as well, you know, are really for that group of people. That audience, yeah. Um, to, to jump back to your question about sort of the evolution of career in theater. Your I, arc. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to start actually at the, at the present um, and touch on our connection at Undermain. Um, I, Danielle said she's been working at Undermain since 2017. I recently started working there um, a couple months ago um, as the producing artistic associate, um, and I'm sure Danielle vouched for me, and also a, uh, another company member at Undermain, um, Blake Hackler, who's been mm-hmm. a really big mentor of mine. He was my professor at SMU, um, and then he sort of asked me to start assistant directing him on his plays uh, at SMU. And since we've worked together in that capacity at Undermain and Second Thought, um, and we have another show that I'm assisting him on uh, coming up in the next couple weeks, but or uh, the next couple months. Um, but yeah, so I'm now at Undermain, and it's nice to have, like you said, a, a sort of steady job that's also like moving your career forward mm. and like learning about the ins and outs of maintaining a theater's longevity, you know, and um, upholding a certain reputation of making good work while also sort of changing with the changes and including new voices and new audiences. And um, But to go back to the beginning, I first got involved with theater uh, on a dare from a student, <laughs> a fellow friend of mine in middle school who uh-huh. said he did this like silly pirates musical and then he was like, I saw it and I was like, that seems fun. And he was like, you should come audition for the next musical. It's Pinocchio. And I was like, okay. And I wrote on my audition sheet, you know, chorus member only, you know, no leads. <laughs> Explicitly, I was like, no. Um, and the, the music director and director, she, she called me back and she said, hey, I want you to come back and audition for Pinocchio. And I said, no. <laughs> and she was like, okay, but you should really give it a try. And so like a couple of days later, I talked to my mom and I talked to my friend and I was like, okay, I'll try it. And I actually ended up getting cast in the lead and that sort of launched me into a lot of performing as a high schooler. And um, I did choir and a lot of acting and I played all kinds of instruments. I started doing all that throughout high school. And then when I came to college, um, I actually sought out SMU's program because they have a rare program where you can get a a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Mm and still study multiple disciplines. So I really was interested in studying acting and directing and some design. Um, Mm -hmm. So while I was uh, at SMU, I studied 
uh, yeah, acting, directing. I did some sound design, independent study, and some lighting design as well. Oh, cool. Um, so that's sort of, you know, and another great thing about SMU is that they really um, are geared towards putting you right into the workforce out of school. Um, so, I mean, even when I was in school, I mean, I was assistant directing Kevin Moriarty at the theater center my junior year. You know, I'd, I've, I've worked now at the theater center several times as an assistant. I've worked at, as an assistant all around DFW. Um, but eventually I realized, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't get to where I really want to be by assistant mm -hmm. directing anymore. Uh, I have to kind of start making my own work. Right. And maybe people will pay attention. And fortunately, they have. Yeah. Um, but so that's what sort of led me onto the path with We're Gonna Die, and that led to getting a, a gig at, at uh, Stage West, Everybody, which we talked about earlier. Um, and so I'm hoping, and you know, now slide by, so I'm hoping that as this continues, I'll be able to produce my work independently, mm -hmm. but also be able to direct on sort of bigger stages around DF, uh, DFW. Yeah. And I'm sure, like, the, having a design background influences your work as a director and vice versa, too. It does. I mean, I'm very much like an aural learner, okay. you know, and people who are, like, tactile learners or whatever. Like, I just need to be in class and hear the teacher talk about it, and I sort right. of get it. Yeah. Um, and similarly, I, I think that when I'm directing, I often... I'm not a particularly visual person. I'm definitely more of an aural person, mm -hmm. and so I like to listen for... I, I don't. There's something about this, this, the way that the scene sounds that me that tells me whether it's really working or not. Um, I'm I'm really big on sound design. I mean, I've I've done a lot of sound designs um, in Dallas and uh, New York and Los Angeles. Um, I I write my own music. I write music for plays. I've done that a lot here in DFW. Um, I've done some music direction. So yeah, all of that is definitely like you know, sort of my way in. And a lot of the time when I'm, when I'm working with a new script or a new play, I like to create a playlist of songs or even just sound bites that, that feel like that moment or that mm -hmm. feel that remind me of this play or, oh, this character, I think this is their theme song. Um, whether that makes it into final production is not really important, but somehow it right. is my way of sort of Guides. investigating that, yeah, guiding me towards some in, some key information yeah. about the piece. Cool. Um, is there anything that you wish you knew before you started this project or would change going back and starting over? I am, yes, I'm... Uh, Those knowing glances. <laughs> I mean, I think things are, are going really well. Okay. And that said, it's just a monumental challenge. Yeah. And I think that there are certain elements of my hubris that have made the challenge even greater for me. Just, you know, basically, I'm a control freak and I like to have my fingers in all the pies at yeah. the same time. Um, which sometimes works out to my advantage because I can be really specific about how I want things to go. But it also means that my challenge is delegating so that other folks can yeah. do things like press. Like, it's been amazing to have Ali Van Duren as my associate producer on this project. I mean, I know that's how y'all linked mm -hmm. up, and she's just an amazing friend from, from college. She was one of my first friends at SMU. Uh, she's done some producing. She's just a, a social butterfly extraordinaire, mm -hmm. and um, somebody who, you know, has really been helping me learn, okay, hey, I can offload this task from my shoulders 
give this to you and and you know you'll take it and do better than I could ever do with it yeah um, and so <laughs> to, to answer your question in short going back I think I would hire more people to do the multitude of jobs that I thought hey I can just take care of this myself so that I wouldn't have to worry as much about the grand scheme of things yeah. like marketing technical stuff directing and producing I mean all of those are in a, in a in a main small professional theater those people each of those areas has one person who actually does that job yeah so to have them all sort of fall onto my plate is a, a self-induced challenge you know? yeah how about you Danielle uh, you know it's it's a new work so there's just there's challenges challenges every day um, and then there's questions that the actors will bring up that we don't always have the answer to and, and can't easily provide them, but there, but then that puts a lot of stress and anxiety, and then mm -hmm. you can feel like the whole tension in the room, like, heightened. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess what I would say is, like, there's nothing you can change about that because it's, it is what it is, and we don't have all the answers, but just always remembering to, to openly say, like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'm stumped. Can I answer <laughs> that tomorrow? Yeah, like, yeah. just give us a minute, and we'll come back to you or tomorrow yeah. or whatever um and I guess also just like and this is what everyone's gonna say is like if there was just like a little more time mm -hmm. because this play and a lot of and this happens with a lot of plays like if you could have just one more week of table work just one more week of talking about the show and what it means and then having that the luxury of time to just assess how you feel about things mm -hmm. um would only help later on and, and so like there's some days where you get in the room and you're just like I wish I could have spent just one more hour yeah talking about this moment yeah but instead we'll just have to figure it out or just be comfortable with the fact that maybe it'll never get figured out yeah I, I kind of disagree in a way about more time like I feel really good about having the time crunch that we have you know a couple weeks of rehearsal then we're in tech then boom it's up in terms of the directing and rehearsing aspect I think the thing that's been really particularly challenging for this process is that the time that we have is also right around the holidays. Mm -hmm. So our play opens mid-January, which means that rehearsals were early December, break for holidays. So we had several weeks off, and then we had to sort of pick back up early January. So that's really where the timing thing for me gets right. super hairy. It's good to like have a fire under your butt, but mm -hmm. also there are those days when you're like, we need to dive yeah. in deeper yeah. and we I think can't. it was just like for me personally, like I wish I could have had like yeah. a little more time to, to try different things out yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. to see if that was maybe better yeah. or just sat sat differently in the actors' bodies. Right. Um, but also with the time crunch, it puts puts pressure on them to just do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like this double-edged sword. Like, I prefer not having that much time, truly, because I'll get honest yep. performances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then I also want the little extra time because in my brain I have like 17 different options <laughs> yes. of how to do a fight or a dance yeah. or a moment. And I just... I personally want the time to try out mm -hmm. all of my options, but you know, it's just like one of those things as a, as a movement coach that you just have to like fight with yourself about and have a conversation and say, just choose the first one because the yeah. first one is probably the best choice. But it makes me think of everybody when we 
you know, in the final hours of everybody, we sacrificed our last three hours of tech. Which changed Which, I mean, that was a really challenging play and process, I think, for everyone involved, for many reasons, okay? But all that to say, we get to tech. It's our last day. We've set many things in place, and the tech is all actually looking really good. So Danielle and the costume designer and I looked at each other and went, I think we spend the last three hours totally redoing the dance sequence. Mm -hmm. And we did. I mean, yeah. it was so different than it began. We had had sort of three evolutions of it, and this one was the by far the most different. But it also ended up being the most effective. Yeah. So yeah. somehow, yeah, a little extra time helped us, but also the sort of like, we have to do it now or never. Yeah. Yeah. I think also. It was that work. final hour. And yeah. the actors are like, okay, but this is it, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, oh, yeah, because I don't have any other choice. They yep. were so stressed in that play, but they did a great job. Yeah. And it, it all pulled through, I think, in the right ways. So. That's great. Um, can you tell us how, where, when we can see Slide By? Yes. Slide By <laughs> uh, runs January 16th through 26th. Uh, we have performances on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday evenings, and matinee performances on Saturday and Sunday afternoons. Um, so that's two weekends. Uh, the play runs at the Wiley Studio Theater downtown at the AT&T Performing Arts Center. Um, tickets are available at uh, attpac.org backslash slide hyphen by. Um, and they're on sale now. Uh, you can find tickets and more info about that at that link. Um, yeah, we hope to see you at the show. That sounds great. Thank you guys so much for meeting with me, and um, I'll be in the audience for sure. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thanks for meeting us. Oh my gosh, you guys. It was so lovely to talk to Danielle and Jake and get to know them a little better and hear about what they have prepared for us with Slide By. So if you want to keep up with the cast and creative team of Slide By and find out more information, you can follow them on Instagram. Their handle is at Slide By Play or go to the website and go ahead and get your tickets attpac.org slash slide hyphen by. And you can also read more about the elevator project there. It's it's a really cool initiative that um, that Dallas is doing in partnership with the AT&T Performing Arts Center. And you can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram. We are at Arts District Pod. Um, I'll tell you what, this is our fifth episode and it has just been monstrously better than I ever could have imagined. Um, we have really special guests lined up for every week this month. I'm so excited. Um, and if you're enjoying the episodes, please tell someone. That is the best thing that you can do for us. Take a screenshot, post it on social media, tag us, let us know what you liked. It really helps us guide the direction that this podcast is going. And, um, like I said, keep up with us on Instagram. We're going to start doing behind the scenes and takeovers and, you know, sharing words of wisdom so that you can open Instagram and uh, feel a little better throughout your day. 
Um, that is all I have for you guys. Next week, we're going to be talking to some folks from Dallas Children's Theater, and I'm so stoked. Um, so we will see you next week. Bye-bye.